Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And we did the opening right for the first time, I think. Or maybe we did it right last time. I think Christopher says that every time we do the show. It's my shtick. It's, it's a my shtick about the thing. opening. It's a performance anxiety because you wrote the opening and I'm just afraid of, I'm so afraid of disappointing you. We I, agreed on the opening. I, nobody ever wrote it. If we'd written it down... We wouldn't have this issue. My my opening was mime, and you rejected it because you said it was too quiet and nobody could hear it. But right. they could it hear was the, that they could hear the umbrella opening. Well, we did the first one, and it was so awk. It, it was, was so. Hi. Well, uh, I think we're uh, recording. Uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah. But that's how all podcasts are. They're all awkward. We should just be part of the trend. Don't you talk smack about other podcasts. <laughs> Some podcasts are great. Some podcasts are not great. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> well, that narrows it down. That's it. That, here's okay. hoping we're Confucius in the first category. says, but... yeah, here's hoping. It's all, it's all subjective. It's all a matter of taste. I know friends of mine whose husbands have listened to their favorite podcasts and said, this is crap. I will only listen to podcasts about string theory that are 45 parts total and contain only academics. And, you know, so it's a matter, it's all a matter wow. of personal taste. Whose husband is that? <laughs> That's a sort of amalgam of stories. I see. Anyway, so. Um, <laughs> it was going to be sports. <laughs> no, we're not talking about string sports. therapy. I would string really theory. string therapy. <laughs> you know, the string therapy that could be a great podcast. <laughs> it's how to how can particle physics apply to the problems right? in your life? That's right, and not just the ones that involve gravity. Okay, we should keep at that one. I don't we think it's quite really, there yet. Really <laughs> move on because I think we've exhausted our ability to discuss string theory. Okay, or string therapy. Welcome to our holiday episode. Right, ho 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 of Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club right? because we're doing it again this week until you guys complain loudly enough that we break it off and but make it a podcast. We're really having podcast. a good time. I love doing. I this. love it too, and we've really sort of hit all the different notes on the true crime piano, but if oh you will. Oh my god! And we have arrived. Oh my god! And, and in <laughs> honor of the holidays, we have arrived. That oh my god, OMG this true crime. Is, Red rum is like having a few drinks and gossiping about a murder with some <laughs> friends of yours, with some friends who are also really bad actors. I mean, it was okay. It let me just jump in and say something. if you want to go and watch it before you listen to us, it's season two of a show called Red Rum, which is available on Discovery ID and it's streamable in a bunch of different places. And the episode we're going to talk some about, some you have to pay for, some you have some to watch, you have to watch with all commercials. Those commercials, but. But it's out there. The episode is called An Imperfect Family. It is about a Christmas time murder in Mansfield, Texas, more specifically Walnut Estates. Which was a real clue that I was gonna love it. I mean to tell you. It is not a, it's not a deep dive. It's, it's twenty five minutes. Twenty minutes long. long. We've done it all these like just, weighty documentaries and oh this was like Eric God. calls me and he's like, You realize it was only 20 minutes long. And I was like, no, it was like 40 minutes long. And I was like, no. And then I went and I checked and I'm like, it was only 20 minutes long. I guess I just so wanted it to be over that it, it felt <laughs> like it was 20 minutes long. Oh, I loved it. I'm I sure it you was, did. I was just, I trash Bernays. It was just <laughs> terrible. And, I adored it. It was gossipy and like shallow. Oh my and, God. Like and, when the, uh, when, 
when the, the, the police detective who they interviewed in the show said, you could have made blood angels on that floor. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Also, um, he was identified. I assume you're talking about the, the Santa Claus looking gentleman named Mark Kelly, yeah. who was identified as an attorney. And not a police detective, but said all of the things you would expect a police detective to say. Oh. He, he was first on the scene. He saw everything. Yeah. So like, I, I thought I, he was the police. I think he was. I think the person doing the Chiron, as they call them, was either drunk or stoned or couldn't bring himself to pay attention to oh this gratuitous special. Him. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So, oh my god. So yeah. So this one, if you're looking for, if you you want to have a few drinks and a few laughs with your friends while you watch a some people really dish. Some dirt on a family and a tragic, horrible, a murder. horrible case that probably deserves a much deeper dive than this twenty-minute crap fest gave well, it. I have the impression that that a woman had written a book about it. Yes. What was her name? <laughs> Who wrote the book? That the Stella. Oh, I. You know what? I fucking forgot to put her on. Oh our, my god! On our cheat sheet. I've got yeah, all no, the other was, horrible people. I think, so I think that there's a book about it. If you want to know more about this crime, and I don't think you will. But <laughs> if you do, there is a murder, and the the author of the book is on the show talking smack about this trashy family from okay, Mansfield. Here, here, yeah, Mansfield, Texas. I don't know Jesus. what part of Texas that's in. I'll look it up. I have family from Texas. I actually know Texas pretty well. Never heard of Mansfield. Never heard of Walnut Estates, although I feel like there's a Walnut Estates in every town. I think that it's really... In um, Natchitoches, it's Pecan Park. Pecan Park. In New Orleans, it was Chateau Estates. Oh. It was, that was the fancy suburb. Fancy. Chateau Estates. Chateaus. Okay, so. It was actually Chapeau Estates. <laughs> that was its original name. And then they rebranded at the, the turn man, of the century. Batman hat. Okay, so. Styrofoam Hats. That's a story for later. Asterisks next to it. If we forget to tell it, party people, go to us on Facebook and complain. Here's the thing. The, the, what do I always say are the cancer of true crime documentaries? Um, I, I, I'm going to go with um, recreation. Reenactments. Reenactments. They are the cancer of true crime documentaries. And they I are, think they are really the, the comic delight. The, they can be, there has been an evolution in them stylistically, like there'll be some interesting camera work and just someone running from the back or breaking glass or whatever, and that I can get with, but like this was a level, these reenactments were like 1983 porn level reenactments. I know I always go to porn, and I, I, I love porn, and I support porn workers. And clearly you watch a lot but of it. But I clearly watch a lot of it, and I would rather have been watching it than watch this crap fest, to be frank. And I think I did shortly thereafter, once I'd cleared the murder out of my head, because I'm not that kind of twisted fuck. This was the worst reenactments I have ever seen. I you mean, know this what I always really... think of is the Bobby Monahan reenactment. Remember when they did the yeah. when David Petraeus was being it... barbecued for really some of the worst judgment calls in the history of mm -hmm. the U.S. military, and they were they had footage of the girlfriend's sister walking out of the house to the car, and so they and they just kept playing it on the news as over they and over do again. on MSNBC and so CNN all the time. So they did a reenactment, and it was Bobby Monahan in a wig and a dress yeah. walking out to the car. That's all it because was. Because the footage is so boring, the joke was they have to start dressing it up it because you're so seeing hysterical. the same thing over and over it again. Was, it's my favorite reenactment ever. There was an interesting spectrum of terrible hairstyles in the reenactments that were supposed to signal the malevolence 
tolerance level of the individual, and there were about women mostly. The women's hair, the the like. Well, judging from the nature of this crime, I'm gonna go with the women were really a big part of the problem. Well, the murdering women were, but the mother who was murdered, uh, what is her name? Susie Walmsley, who is shot in the head as she is sleeping on the sofa after having okay. decorated the house we, for Christmas. I think we should do a better reconstruction of telling this oh, story. Oh, yeah, We're, we should do it the justice that not, it deserves. The thing, yeah. that, the thing that they do, the thing that Red Rum is about is telling it backwards. Right. Because they start with the murder, and then they do a couple of hours earlier, and then they do a week earlier, and then they do a month earlier, right. and then they do three months earlier, and then they do six months earlier, and then that's about all the time they have for in 20 minutes. But... <laughs> Um, and all of that is peppered with recreations of my favorite was the recreation of eating at Denny's. <laughs> I missed that. I, I would think I plot. Oh, was that where they like came where up they, with the crime? That's where they plotted the yeah, murder was right. the eating at Denny's. So first we find out that that um, here at this beautifully decorated, lovely home in Walnut Estates. Walnut Estates, which is Walnut Estates. It's described as being the right side of the tracks, and that is important to remember because we're about to meet somebody from the wrong side of the tracks. In fact, a whole cast of characters from the wrong side of the tracks. I think they all belonged on the wrong side of the tracks. I think somebody needed to go locate the tracks. Because I think we may have been there the whole time. <laughs> Just saying. I'm not sure where Mansfield is Walnut located. tracks. Right? I think all of Mansfield may have been on the wrong side of the tracks. All right. God, I'm sorry, Mansfield. I don't know anything uh, Mansfield, about Mansfield. Maybe a lovely little town. You deserved no better idea. than this episode of Red Rum is what I'm going to say. I am telling you. It all was right. just so, okay. So somebody calls 911. Mm-hmm. And hard really doesn't say anything, and so they send people over to the house and discover that the house is beautifully decorated for Christmas. They went on and on about how lovely the house was and how well decorated it was, except for this incredibly bloody, brutal double murder, scene, murder scene where somebody had a woman. The the mom had been shot in the head, and then after she was dead, shot in the head, stabbed multiple times. And the husband was lying in an enormous pool of blood where you could apparently make blood angels. With defensive wounds on his hands. And shot multiple times. Mm -hmm. But also stabbed repeatedly. Yeah. So then from there they go backwards. They follow the timeline backwards. First we meet the daughter who is nothing but trouble, apparently in and out of rehab and heavy drinker and maybe... Is she pregnant? I can't. She even... had a baby. She had a baby and then decided that motherhood was just really going to take away from the time she spends. Oh, that's right. It's a custody. The fight. time she spends drinking straight out of the vodka bottle and pacing because that's what the reenactor who was playing the daughter keeps doing. So apparently that was how she spent her days. She'd come back to live with them, although I don't know where she was at this particular time. And she was in a custody bite with her Husband, who was apparently from the wrong side of the tracks, but maybe not. Boyfriend, not husband. That would be the Todd father Cleveland. Of the baby, her He's baby the daddy. father of the baby. Absolutely. And they were in a custody dispute, which plays out in another reenactment that made me want to pull my hair a out. A whole series screen. of them. So they totally set the daughter up as being like nothing but trouble. And then the whole family goes for a drive um, where they're off to the mall to buy the daughter a new... Uh, a lovely little suit. Everything's little. A lovely little suit. Yeah. Um, that she can wear to her job interview that somebody has gotten for her. So that <laughs> they're that they are being... forcing her to go to so a th- gunpoint so, so she'll th- stop drinking vodka out of the bottle on their carpet. And right, and get an apartment, get the hell out of their beautiful, well decorated home. Yeah. Um 
And on their way, somebody in a Mustang pulls up beside their SUV and opens fire. And here's my favorite part of this reenactment, that the person in the Mustang, when we first see them, is wearing a gray hooded sweater and tuxedo gloves. <laughs> White tuxedo gloves. Like you As did. they point the gun badly at the SUV, firing off a few shots that miss. And the, yeah, everybody. But freak them the fuck out. Yeah. So they pull over. So it looks like, you know, the daughter has brought this trouble into their life. And yeah. that's just terrible and whatever. But meanwhile, their son. Andrew Walmsley. And this is when someone from Dateline could have been of great use to this special. Because what Andrew, what Dateline is great at is, is that hiding it. Hiding the fact that they're interviewing someone who is already in prison, whereas Andrew is in what I believe they call a three-quarter shot with clearly a... a looks like the cafeteria. It looks like the cafeteria, but if you look closely enough and you've watched enough of these things, you're like, he's in prison. He's, he's wearing, wearing all white of, and everything around him is institutional white. He's got that yellow shirt white. thing on and whatever, and he's got these... The, the thing, the real telling for me was the glasses. Yes. He had glasses that were like, those are prison issue glasses. Oh, I didn't notice that. You have such a good eye. You really do. You like no, You remember a lot more of these things yeah. than I do. And yellow yeah. shirt, which I think was like jumpsuit, yellow, yeah. Yeah. yellow jumpsuit, day glow jumpsuit, and a white t-shirt, and then these glasses, and a haircut, all of which really looked like, Military. yeah, those are prison issue. Um, And he was... Being helpful, but um, yeah, it was clearly, and the background was a well, little blurry, helpful, but it really did look like prison. Helpful in a way, really eager to jump on the point that all his parents cared about were money and that they didn't have any love in their hearts for anyone and they were cold, shallow people. And you're thinking, okay, this dude is clearly in prison. This is what he has to say about his parents. Which is code for they cut him off. They cut him off because he was a fucking train wreck. Well, and he had started dating this really, really the the Brene is on the trash. Chelsea Richardson. I'm Chelsea was really the absolute cherry on all of this for me. She was. She loved their house. It was amazing, and they hated her. They hated her. So they cut him off, and he made the mistake of telling Chelsea that they had cut him off over a lovely dinner with her and her oh, yeah. submissive Wait, roommate. Let, let's not, so like when they introduce Chelsea, there's a really terrible meeting reenactment style at the house where the parents are standing golem-like above the railing of the staircase, staring down. <laughs> he, the father is in an ill-fitting off-the-rack suit. The woman looks like she just sort of, everyone's hair in this looks like the hairstylist was getting paid $5 and just threw some shit at it. Everybody did their 30 own hair. Say, everybody did their own hair. But there were messages with the hair. Chelsea's hair was blonde and perfect, a perfect little bob. The mother's hair is this like rampaging cascade that was just brushed out and maybe blown out too. And then Set, Susanna Toledano, who is Chelsea's roommate, has I'm crazy and really fucked up hair at all times. Yeah, she is clearly Chelsea's sub. <laughs> So as we are further introduced to Susanna Toledano, Chelsea's sub, as you have called oh, her, yeah. she is- Well, because she's living rent-free in Chelsea's apartment and she will do anything, Chelsea. They go out of their way to say she will do anything 
Chelsea tells her to do. And then in a moment of what is possibly a little bit of artistic license, that anything turns out to be scrubbing the bathroom mirror with Windex in a rag while Chelsea stands right behind her watching the job she is doing and pointing to the spots that she missed. I'm just going to say this. I don't mean to project, but if I had somebody who was doing housework to live with me, I would not want to waste my own time standing directly behind them while they did the housework. It would seem like that would be part of the perk for me. Really, yeah, is to be absolved of of housework (laughs) duty, but watching the housework is is really not all that far removed from doing it. So, yeah. Like, you have to stand in the bathroom. So Susanna is furiously wiping the mirror. Her hair is crazy. Don't know what was going on with that mirror, but it was apparently really a mess. It was a filthy mirror because they the other people they murdered, they, that was the episode before maybe. Um, the apartment had a lot of murdering in it. Anyway, so. Or dirt daubers. She wants to talk about fun girlfriend things. And she's like, Chelsea is like, you missed a spot on the mirror. And when I tell you to do something, you jump on it. Because that's realistic. That happens. That's exactly the dialogue that you get when you have fucking reenactments in your special. Anyway, okay, sorry. I will get off the reenactment train. So, um, I think it's what made this show. I think it's like if what this show made had, it terrible. Like that, but that was the good thing about this show was how you, terrible it was. You said after the first two documentaries that we did, they were so heavy and they were so serious. You were like, "Where is the trash? We need to be doing stuff that I want wives with knives. I want that's right. Evil lives here. We needed more trash. I'm I'm glad we did some of those documentaries, but they were really they heavy were really duty heavy documentaries. Duty. Um, but I think that the judgment for the holidays. Yeah, we wanted something light and frothy. <laughs> we wanted to make blood angels. You know, blood Hashtag angels blood for angels. the holidays. Yes, they're better than snow. I don't, I'll work on it uh, next episode. I'll oh, have a, right. I'll have a whole the song. The musical. Working. Okay, so Susanna is wiping the fucking mirror with a rag. Um, Chelsea is evil, and we know this because she has perfect hair. Uh, the son, Andrew Walmsley, makes the mistake at Denny's of telling Chelsea that he has been cut off by his parents. But he's going to get a job and support himself. Which is like, no, which Chelsea no is not buying. Because she knows Andrew. And like, you don't, the job that Andrew is going to get is either, you know, escort or I don't know, you know, window washer. Maybe he'll do the bathroom mirrors for now on for Chelsea. Yeah, Chelsea doesn't want to have to support another sub. Yeah, exactly. So... This is going bad really quickly, and you take over from here, because I think I stopped watching. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So they're having a lovely dinner at Denny's. That really, the Denny's thing really worked The Denny's really, well, it was such a ridiculous setup. I just was like, oh my God. He tells her, he gives her the news about it, and um, she, you know, turns to... Saladano or whatever her name is, the um, wait. Are, the sub. We, are we skipping over the gun thing? Well, they kind of. Th- I thought the gun thing was really weird. They added this detail, like, and then they got a gun, which they really enjoyed shooting at ducks with, and they kind of showed them doing that. And it was like, are they really shooting at those ducks? Jesus Christ! They were those poor ducks. They were um, the, the ducks. D- the ducks were, were union though, so the they ducks got paid were, really were well. Remarkably unbothered by their shooting at them, but yeah. still, they were shooting at I, I actual think- ducks. Ducks are so fucking over humans. Ducks are like, bring it out. I've seen all your shit. Whatever. I float here. You two couldn't hit the side of a barn. Yeah. Anyway, so they're they and then they drop it and then they have this um this this luncheon at Denny's and they act like, well, 
do you have a gun? And it's like, wait a minute, didn't we just have a thing where you said you'd gotten well, a gun? Well, remember, it's Red Rum, so they're telling this story backwards. So if the gun thing happened... Or, I don't know. Oh, you're right. <laughs> That's what it is. They got the gun later, and they we saw that part, and right. then we went further back in time, and they hadn't gotten the gun because yet. The thing, That's it. The thing that they do with the gun is that she turns it. Chelsea is holding the gun, and she turns it suddenly on Susanna, and is like, I'm holding a gun on you because I'm evil. And Susanna's like, no, stop. Isn't that funny? Huh? My hair is too and crazy they shoot for this. Ducks. Yeah. Actual ducks. Actual. It looked like shooting. The water was right. being disrupted. Anyway. <laughs> That's a side note. I was a little alarmed for the ducks. Um, <laughs> Eric cared more about the ducks than any of the humans covered in this tragedy. And if you see these humans, you will feel similarly. <laughs> um, so anyway, so then they, they, you know, suddenly, apparently over um, the the short stacks and um, hamburgers at Denny's, they make a plan to do this murder and um, because there is a life insurance policy for one point six oh, million dollars, right? He mentions that at lunch too. He's really a and and like this is where you start to see not only is this not a very good special, but it is completely biased in favor of the people who are willing to sit down and give interviews for it, which happens a lot. And he, the, the who you know the the son who got cut off is like the primary interview, and I think he was also the author's primary interview for her book because everything they're saying is taking giant shits. On the two murder victims who aren't there to defend themselves, and the two women, and there and there are no family members of the other family members of the murder victims willing to talk on camera, apparently. So anyway, because they're too busy pacing up and down drinking vodka. Yeah, the, yeah, the sister's nowhere to be found. Yeah. She nowhere, does not no get sign of her, and then the other everybody else is dead. So. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know what happened to the child. Um, yeah. So, and I'm still thinking that the show is going to last a lot longer. So I'm thinking, <laughs> wow, this is really moving along. Where is the twist coming? <laughs> I'm still expecting this to turn into Dateline at some point. And I'm like, oh. we are really barreling along. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see how this, you know, how they double back. And it's like, but no, it was aliens, you know. Um so, yeah, so, uh, no, apparently it's almost like they get up from the table at Denny's and go over to their house. <laughs> well, time for some murdering. And they make the sub do it. <laughs> she had apparently been the one wheeling the gun in the drive-by. That was yeah. their first attempt. In the tux- her tuxedo gloves. Wearing her tuxedo <laughs> gloves. And then the second attempt was more of, a, a, you know, the actual murder itself. Which was horrible. So, like, it involved a gun and a knife, didn't it? So she walks into the house. The three of them, the reenactment shows the three of them walking into the house. But Andrew and Chelsea don't participate physically and directly in the murders. Because they wanted to make her the fall guy. Susanna does, and she walks right up to the mother who is sleeping on the sofa, having just decorated the house for Christmas, fires point-blank range into her head. And then you said, I missed the details. She stabs her after. Yeah, they stabbed her after she was, like, it was, they, they even made a point of saying there was no point in stabbing her because she the gunshot took care of her, but they stabbed her anyway to make sure she was dead. The father, uh, Rick Walmsley, is upstairs asleep, or he's in another part of the house. I don't know if he's upstairs. He's he's w- roused by the gunshot, comes out, 
we don't we don't really know what he did, but what the reenactment shows him doing is trying to fight Susanna. She shoots him she right shoots off. Him, but she shoots him and he doesn't, comes at her. But it's not enough to kill him. Yeah. Like he she she's not a great shot. So she shoots him, she misses him a couple of times, she grazes his face, and they struggle, but there's she begins stab they begin stabbing him, or she begins stabbing him. It's unclear, but um the stabbing is really more of the the killing for him. He's stabbed a lot. Yeah, he's stabbed a lot. Um, I would just say I never will plan a murder, but if I was planning a murder, I would not pick the person who missed the last time. Like she completely screwed up the drive-by shooting and now they're going to make her the gun person for the most important crime. Yeah, I think you're really overestimating the cast really of characters am. here. I am. I think I'm also overestimating their sobriety levels when they did all of this. The other thing that they did was he then calls 911 himself, the son, from the house <laughs> because he wants to get things moving along because he wants to get that sweet, sweet insurance money. Life insurance As money. quickly as possible. Oh because he's God. got Christmas presents to buy and he Jesus apparently Christ. thinks that it's going to take 20 minutes. It's going to be like getting a check for a fender bender from mm-hmm. uh, Allstate. Yeah. Yeah. That it's, yeah. You're not going to be able to do Christ. this with an this app on your phone, bozo. Anyway, so apparently like they were all, the, the guy, the, they find in the father's hand a handful of Alexandra's hair yeah. Which they link to her. They bring her in. And, of course, she, you know, rolls on everybody. Yeah. They all get arrested. Um, and the son, who is being interviewed, then declares his innocence. <laughs> it's like, and that, that was the part where I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. He's like, no, I didn't do it. And, I, you know, I'm innocent. You know, I'm innocent. And they were bad parents. And it's like. That's when I realized, oh my God, this so whole your documentary killed came from your your parents because they were bad parents, but you had nothing to do with it. Like, yeah. how is this a credible story? Anyway, yeah, yeah, it was. I thought that was the most. But they all went to jail for. I think one of them was eligible for parole. I think maybe Alexandra was eligible for parole because she turned state's evidence, but the rest of them just got life. Yeah, it was. So, which in Texas is actually kind of a gift because they are fond of killing their prisoners they, in Texas. They, they, they do a lot I, of, I believe they are a lot of death penalty in Texas. A lot so. of death penalty. Um, you know, don't murder anyone, but if you are, don't murder them in Texas. But then it was over. But I mean, it was this really, was just, it was like I gossiping. Yeah. It really was like gossiping with bad actors. I'm just going to keep going back to that. Um, do you think we could rescue this with an actual substantive discussion that did, did, cause we are substantive people like, <laughs> is it possible that um, <laughs> are we? Are, we are. We can be. Every other episode, we are. Uh, I think. Okay. Well, I mean, it's our podcast, so if we say so, it must the be glib true. thesis, if you will, of this twenty-five minutes of gratuitous uh, reenactment-filled tripe is that you know, bad parents, heartless parents, create bad children. Isn't it sometimes possible that good parents have bad children? Like, do we always have to make that connection that if that if a child is really rotten to the core, that the parent is always somehow to blame? I'm not a parent. Well, you know? I didn't so. see that even in this that the parents seem so terrible. Well, they didn't show them being terrible, but they constantly described them as being terrible. And the, the earmarks for that were that they were rich and successful. And it didn't go much deeper than that. And I'm not saying not all millionaires. Like, I'm not trying to, like, defend rich people as a principle. Yeah. 
I, I, what I'm saying is that I, I think these were these were two really spoiled, fucked up kids. It seemed like and it. Like they had issues, and I think people have issues, and sometimes it can be the parents' fault, but sometimes I think people just have issues that, but that we, are not necessarily... Like if a parent is abusive or something, yeah. well then sure, but that wasn't... They didn't seem to claim that, mm-hmm. and that wasn't shown at all in the show. They seemed like they had expectations for their kids succeeding, Yeah, and I guess people can feel the pressure of that. Yeah. But, you know, like this, sometimes that's celebrated. What is the tiger mom idea mm-hmm. of having somebody really be on you to make sure you succeed? So I'm not sure that I necessarily see that as being, you know, it's like I always, it's the it's the notion that it was, they've kind of stopped using the term, and I'm, I'm glad, um, the dysfunctional family. Right. Which I hate because it presumes that there is a functional family, a norm family out there. Yeah. That, we're all aspiring to be. And I, I think that's unlikely or, and and not really representative of what the, the nature of raising children is. The, the primary exper- uh, obligation of parents is that the children don't die of exposure or starvation. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't, well, then I guess you had a functional family. Like, mm-hmm. were there halcyon days of tossing a ball in the backyard in the setting sun while... You snacked on noodle salad. Well, that's lovely, but it isn't an expectation of parenting. Like there are extras, but they aren't necessarily a requirement of yeah. what parenting <clears throat> literally is. You want to give your child or I would want to give my child a quality experience, but that isn't necessarily an obligation of parenting. So I don't know that you that you need. In fact, some people rise above difficult circumstances Absolutely. to be a better person than they they would have been than their parents were, or whatever. Absolutely. And some people are taken down by their circumstances. What was it I saw? It's not like your life is not about your um, what happened to you. It's about how you. It's about how you reacted to it. You know, yeah, that, it's that about that how sort you respond notion. to it. Yeah, seems more credible to me. Like. Andrew might have gone out and uh, gotten a degree, a law degree, and become a, su- a successful DA yeah. in in Texas. Um, but instead, he went to Denny's with his friends and conspired to murder his parents for their life insurance. I, I think that's and, you know, that sounds more like a personal choice than I, anything, because certainly his parents weren't modeling that behavior. His father was a CPA. There's a real attempt to say that the parents' dislike of Chelsea when they first meet her is that she's from the wrong side of the tracks, but also Chelsea turns out to be a murderer of them, so maybe their dislike of her was based in a little bit more than that. Like, maybe they de- they detected the fact that she was a criminal. <laughs> Yeah, that there seems to have been some real challenges for them in the nature of their children forming relationships. Mm-hmm. That seems to have been and I guess there's a I guess there's some parental responsibility in that. Like are your parents good at but their parents found each other and they had a pretty good relationship. The, so. the first murder attempt on their parents, they are involved in trying to get the sister to a job interview, right? Or to sort of set yeah. her up for success with her job interview. I mean, these seem to be participatory parents. Yeah, I about, don't think that they were like, yeah. it wasn't like they wanted their children to be successful and to succeed and to work and try for it. And I don't think that the kids were disposed to that. Yeah. I guess I, 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 I don't mean to be too hard on this, whatever. It's a form of entertainment, essentially. And anybody 
somebody who's looking for the definitive account of this crime shouldn't be getting it from the show. And I know ultimately I wasn't. They could I, read that book. But they could read the book. And maybe the book is better. I haven't read the book. No idea. But it puts me in mind of it. I remember a few years ago, I was actually working on a, a novel called Light Before Day, which was a, a murder mystery set here in West Hollywood. And it was very dark and it was very noir. But it was about writers trying to solve crimes which this was pre-podcasts and all that sort of stuff. And in talking to my editor about how I was going to portray the career of my writer character's relationship to true crime and law enforcement, in that moment, we were in the death of the true crime book. That it used to be every major crime would automatically have five or six paperbacks written about it as fast as possible, as fast as they could cobble them together. But true crime TV was just starting to really catch on. Yeah. And so the one hour special like this, although it's not one hour, was eating away at that marketplace. And I wonder if we are now shifting into a marketplace where the six-part podcast deep dive is going to start to eat away at specials like these where everything's really compact and really short and easily digestible, but also a little glib. Like the conclusions are a little sloppy and hasty because they're trying to fit it into 20 minutes. Well, I think that it's probably... I think that we're at a place where there's room for both of those things because I think a lot of crimes like... People have said the reason a lot of crimes get solved really quickly is because they're really stupid. They're really easy to solve. Yeah. The vast majority of what law enforcement is going to be confronted with is a case that can be solved in 48 hours. And the outlier this, cases are what we talk this about. This looks like one of those cases. Yeah. Like, there isn't a lot here. No. There is not a lot to go into. Like, they, like I say, they may have cut out some really interesting and salient details, but they didn't seem like the people who would have done that. No. Like if they could have done reenactments of people being slapped around or beating their children, they seemed like the kind of people who would do that. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't think that was the case with it. I think it just wasn't much of a crime. I think that a deep dive, it's sort of like the difference between a lot of the stuff that we've watched and what's what was up with Pam or whatever that one the was. The thing about Pam, which like, was... Like, that's become a podcast, yeah. and we wanted to know more about that. Right. And, but, like, the rest of the things we've done, I didn't really want to know more about it. I guess maybe Blue Bayou might have been because... Bayou Blue, right. Bayou yeah. Blue was right. because it was because... You know the issue, but that would have been more about social justice. Like, well, a lot of what we talked about, people were killed, and like it didn't even scratch that, the national news. Right, that would be that was interesting, what we but about. not the investigation of the crime necessarily. And southwest of Salem, they solved the crime. There wasn't one. Mm-hmm. Um, was ultimately what. And you're right. Was. And most of the extended podcasts that we see, there is there is a trial. There is doubt about whether or not the guilty right. party is actually Question guilty. Question of innocence or really intricate details or but there's interesting investigation. There's something to be said for the, the the appeal of the crime here, obviously, is the viciousness of it. It's not the complexity necessarily. We picked this because it was a Christmas. It was, a, And we picked it because it was a Christmas murder special, basically. But, but, the, but there is something to be said for taking a deep dive on somebody like Andrew Walmsley, who still says he's innocent, and really making answering the questions or tackling the questions that we're talking about. What makes a bad parent? Were they really bad parents? You know, but I don't know if it necessarily sells as much. So that's an answer to my question. Well, it that may it's be not... a different podcast. Yeah, like do parents can you can you turn your children? I always say that I my children would be serial killers with perfect table manners. Yeah, because there's stuff I care about. But and could, stuff could I don't you care about. could you clarify when you say that you, that you are not in fact a serial killer? I'm because not, and I'm not in favor of being. A sometimes ser- I'm more. I worry. A serial killer. I'm really not a serial no. killer. I'm not in favor of it. 
I've never really, I've never had a fight with, you know, like a physical, like a fist fight or anything. I'm not really that person. The, the, what I have always been told is the. But I care about the other stuff. The defining characteristic of a serial killer or most of them are sexual sadists, which means you need to become sexually aroused by the pain and suffering of another person. Oh, well, that just really is Yeah, true. I mean, I'm not... It's why when somebody says, well, we identify with the serial killers because they're loners, and they're, and it's like, no, you may be identifying with a vigilante in your head, but a serial killer is somebody, more often than not, who is sexually aroused by suffering. And I'm not talking about in a consensual BDSM environment, which is perfectly lovely and fine between two consenting adults. Yeah, you know, well, role play is Yeah, role been. play is, 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 I support role play when nobody's hurt and everybody agrees to everything and it's negotiated. But this is something very different. This is a different animal. But this is also not this case because I don't think these people, although maybe it was, maybe they were thrill killers and it was less about the money and it was more about the just rageful act of what they were doing. But well, I think if that was the case, in the killing. if that was the case, they would not have put Susanna up to doing the actual No, killing. they would have done it themselves because yeah. that would have been the joy of it. And maybe they did and just blamed Susanna, but... It didn't seem that way. The DNA evidence really did link it to her. Well, I think I I am going to actually try to get that book because it did it did leave me curious because I know and we've talked about this before from experience of watching the Dirty John case get the Dateline treatment, which is way higher tone right. than this special. That there were big pieces of the Dateline story, uh, excuse me, the Dirty John story that was in the podcast, which were left out of the special, just for time. You right. know, and we also talked in our discussion of a 2020 episode, I believe it was episode four or five of our show, about how there was not enough editorial discretion in that episode with friends like these, it was called, and details were dropped into the hour and a half that were not fully fleshed out and not explained, and they ended up confusing us yes. more than anything because they didn't seem to play a major role in yes. the outcome. So it is, it is, as you're documenting these things, it is hard to make those decisions and still be true to the case but there was a there was a sense here that nobody who was truly close to or had any affection for the victims was included in the making of this particular episode of television it doesn't seem to have been it was yeah. just really the facts of what happened presented in the most salacious kind of way it was it was just, there was a certain glee and here you see this apparently perfect family but how perfect are they really right when all of this uh trash was going on the daughter with the child yeah. and the boy dating this trashy girl with her weird roommate situation whatever that was about mm-hmm. yeah it was um there was a certain sort of takedown yeah um built into the piece and there yeah there was no sympathy about the parents there was nobody to mourn the parents mm-hmm. included in the in the documentary, the son did not seem, he said he wanted to talk to his parents. He said he would love to talk to his parents, that he missed them, you know, when, during his rather unconvincing declaration of innocence. But mm-hmm. but that was it. That was the extent of it. He didn't seem. Do you know, and maybe this is a question for our party people too, like how are decisions made in prisons about which TV crew to allow in to talk to which prisoner? God, I have no idea. I'm it curious. It seems really strange that any are allowed in to talk to prisoners at all. Yeah. I, I think that that's kind of inappropriate, but 
you know, like I don't think there should be cameras in courtrooms. I, I think that the criminal justice system is not a form of entertainment and should not be featured as such. I object to shows like Cops and mm-hmm. Twenty Four Hours. Why, why, why do you object to Cops in particular? Because it's ma- it's turning law enforcement into an entertainment sport, and mm-hmm. I just that's a little Fahrenheit for, for, for whatever it is. You know, four fifty one. Because think, they. Yeah. They actually do that. They chase people down and use it. I object to the cameras in the helicopters following the chases on the freeways here locally. I think that encourages people to participate in those chases. Like, How I, do you feel about um, specials like the ones we talk about using the video footage from interrogations in police stations? That's really right on the line. Mm-hmm. That's really close to the line. I like. I find the shows interesting and fascinating, and so I suppose that. And since it's after the fact, right? I suppose that I have less. The conviction has happened. I have less objection to it. But even that is pushing it. Yeah. And you know, like, and I love these shows, but that the the inclusion of prisoners. What about nine one one calls? That's the one where I just really think that's there's a whole special called Murder Calls, which is it really centers around 911 calls. I, you know, Karen Kilgariff of My Favorite Murder won't can't listen to the 911 calls. They're too upsetting for her. Yeah. And this is a show that does deep dives on a lot of really disturbing murders. It's someone at their like the idea if I had to make a 911 call because you had been murdered and the idea that that's going to be public. And played That's over and over again on really the... Kind just, of, if it's not evidence in a crime or something, I don't know. And even if it is, there is no benefit to the public hearing it. Yeah. You know, I just... I think a lot of that stuff is... I, I know I'm talking us out of our own market here, but, mm-hmm. like, I think a lot of that stuff is inappropriate. I think there's something to be said for the fact that the, the that our market here, the core of the market, or what we're really talking about and looking at are... Um, cases that often result in trials with, as we said earlier, either ambiguous verdicts or appeals or ongoing narratives right. where you look at a show like Dateline or 48 Hours of those sort of mainstays, they, they typically always give an opportunity to both sides to step forward and give an interview. They, they allow – and yes. there is a sense of fairness and balance, rescuing that term from the people who have stolen it, uh, that I believe makes me feel not dirty – about watching yes. Dateline. And if somebody is proclaiming their innocence from yeah. jail, they should probably be have access yes. to being able to say that. Yes. So I guess to that extent I would be more I would be more open to that kind of possibility. But it is really, as you get back your original question, how is that decided? Yeah. How is that decided? Like is it based on just a level of interest, a show of interest from a network? And it's like, okay, well, we'll arrange it. Or like, an emotional decision by a warden, maybe if it's not based on the prisoner's behavior and history at the prison, is it based on uh, the warden's personal feelings about the case? Like, no, I thought that crime was too heinous to allow a TV crew in. But that's really a judgment yeah, call that I, I think don't necessarily – I think I would turn over to somebody that – like, it has to be – it's like the you know the skim milk marriage issue. It it has to be the same thing for everybody. It can't tell be. tell us where the skim milk marriage skim milk marriage comes was from. Uh, Ruth Bader, God bless her heart, Ginsburg's uh, description of what we were being subjected to with what do they call it domestic partnership versus gay marriage versus yes. actual marriage you know say opposite sex marriage. She was saying we were begin being given skim milk marriage, which was a 
you know, reduced version of what marriage actually was. And it was a great, it's a great description of what the law needs to be. The law needs to be whole milk for everybody all the time. Like everybody gets the same law, everybody, Mm -hmm. the same treatment under the law, equal treatment under the law. It's the 14th Amendment, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's right. But that there's not, you know, a law for this group and a law for that group that everybody gets. And that's the sort of, I wouldn't want a warden to have discretion over whether or not right. somebody can or can't proclaim their innocence to um, the media. I, I don't know. It, it's a difficult thing to decide. I, it's a challenging question. I, you know, because I'm thinking, God, if I were the warden, I wouldn't let anybody talk to this. Ever. Fuck. But uh, the, all I know about this case is what I've seen on this 25-minute special. So, like, who am I to make that decision? Because, like I said, there may be a lot more here. There may be compelling we, we evidence. We talked recently about the fact that the second trial for the Menendez brothers, all testimony about the alleged sexual abuse that those boys went through was completely excluded. And they are in prison today yeah, because of that I verdict. Think that's not, I think that was one of the greatest miscarriages of justice that I've ever seen. And and I, we did a, a, a show... I can't remember which one it was, but it was where the husband is now out of prison. Oh, it's Pam. It was the thing about Pam. Yeah. And that that is a Dateline special that we covered. I think it was either episode, I think it's episode six. And that was about the, um, the, you know, the, the getting the new trial. They excluded in his first trial all of the evidence that ultimately acquitted him. And even the appellate judge said that he had serious questions about the investigation. And in that case, as we discuss in some detail, the interrogation room video ends up burning the prosecutor who brought the first case. (laughs) She ends up getting really screwed because they basically show her coaching the witness and doing all these sorts of things she shouldn't have been doing. And she made a series of really terrible decisions and did some things in that trial which were ethically right on the line. And she was voted out of office along with the judge who made the first decision. So that's all in our discussion of the thing about Pam, which you can go back and find. Um, I and think it's so, a few episodes ago. And so we're how many episodes? We're eight episodes in now? I think so. Is this so is a, yeah. What's next for Christopher and Eric? TDPS presents Christopher well, and Eric. Well, I think on, in large part we want to hear from the people who are listening on our Facebook right, page. We're going to take a little bit of a break. It's the holidays It is now, the holidays. So I don't know when you're listening to this, so it may not actually be the holidays. If you're listening to this on the beach somewhere in the summertime, well, that ship has sailed and you're – where the question isn't really open to you, but at this point... If you're listening in in real time, as we should say, around when we post this episode, December 15th, let us know what you think of this. I know I have I have monitored some of the comments that have been coming in, and a lot of them are largely praised. Right, I'm enjoying True Crime TV Club, but if yeah. you guys are, you know... If that's if that's waning, maybe it's time to like look at other things or whatever. I don't know. I Talk really love plane, doing this. Plane crashes. Plane crashes. plane crashes. Oh my God! Yes, they, like all of those. Uh, wrath of God week. Um, yeah, disasters. Natural, natural disasters. I think the idea is that we always thought that the Christopher and Eric podcast was just going to be Christopher and Eric, but that we were going to try these new things out and see if people responded to them, and that potentially they would become their own podcasts if they took on a life of their own. Um, but I, I think that we love talking about true crime and apparently most of America loves talking about true crime and we're getting really positive feedback so far from you guys so I'm thinking that this is a good thing and maybe we'll do some more of this but we are also looking around casting around for other things and we used to do the dinner party show so is there some aspect something we used to do then that you miss or I don't know 
We're just not doing anything live again. No, we're not doing it live again. That was way too much trouble for what it was worth, and you didn't listen live anyway. Nobody listened live. There was a hundred of you who listened live, and the rest of you... And you was great, and talking to you was great, but it was a lot of work to put on a live show that most people were consuming as a podcast. As a podcast, because we were helping to invent podcasts, and we just didn't really realize it at the time. Yeah, this was a few years ago. Yeah, we thought it was going to be all about internet Everybody said internet radio was going to be a thing. They were going to have internet radio and cars it was the thing and so we got our website and we got an internet stream and we did the show live do we have internet radios in cars Sirius radio is internet radio no Sirius is satellite radio oh it's satellite yeah Sirius has had some major financial difficulties lately so that model may be in trouble too it's subscriber based so you know that's that can be challenging yes if you're not you know debuting a new 10 million dollar an episode show every Friday like Netflix does yeah exactly um, so, you know, like I think we want to take all that in. We want to hear all the feedback. We want to think about it. But I think we want to continue doing whatever we do, something that is personal and that is feels and connected to, say, to the people who are listening. this has been so much fun. I'm yeah. really loving being back in this place with you, although I talk uh, to you. Our life is this all the time. If we could just record our phone calls, our we would have podcast. 10 extra episodes. Right, a week. Yes. Um, yeah, it's been great to work with Brandon again, have be back in the studio, the... The, the other three amigos um, yeah. back in the studio together and um, putting this uh, on the air and hearing from you guys, hearing from people we haven't heard from in a while. It's been it's been fun. And I, I hope that people are enjoying it. But, um, you know, now it's time to take a little break and mm-hmm. have a little holiday uh, meal and uh, put on some holiday pounds and go on another crazy diet. And- a little holiday meal. I don't know who you're fooling, <laughs> pal. I'm going to have a I'm going to I'm going to have some. Some Peter chips from Trader Joe's. I'm gonna get crazy. I'm gonna oh, eat yeah. all the things I haven't been eating on my yeah. fucking ketogenic it really diet. It's funny what that turns into. My idea of going crazy is having ramen noodles and chicken broth. Like, oh my god, ramen noodles what? with just a little bit of crack rock sprinkled on the top, no, just for, for just ew. for just to get you through New no, Year's. I'm a purist. It's yeah. just uh, just ramen. Yeah, no, no crack. Just crack. Just. <laughs> oh god so yes have a crackly christmas yes whatever merry christmas hanukkah kwanzaa as we used to say um oh and do all the do all the things that we podcasters have to ask you to do give us a five-star review subscribe on itunes if it is not where you want your podcast to be let us know with a comment or a message on Facebook, and we will do our best to increase distribution. And we're also looking to make sure that we're getting distributed internationally. So if you have tips on that or if you're finding yeah. it internationally, let us know where. Or if you where you're looking for it internationally, we're not there. Let There's us know. absolutely no reason that we are aware of at this time that you should not be able to internationally download or stream it from our website. There are no geo blockers on our website that we are aware of, but that said, various other platforms may not be available in your area. Who knows? So, you know, yeah. keep us posted on that sort of thing. But yeah, it's great to be back and, uh, it'll be nice to take a little break and then we'll see you again at some point. Absolutely. Watch the, um, the, the, Dinner Party Show Facebook page. Absolutely. For details on when we'll be back in the new year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but meanwhile, you know. Until then. Have a great, great holiday. And Absolutely. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. Thanks.